Hey everybody, my name is John Farrell. Welcome to my first podcast called Forward in Recovery. So a little bit about myself. I'm a uh, certified addiction recovery coach. I'm also a self-empowerment coach. And I'm also a sound practitioner. So I do a lot of things as my former teacher used to say, I have a lot of houses. So let's just begin to do a little bit of getting into the podcast and talking about what I'm about. So um, I've been in recovery for 35 years now, and my background, uh, the groups that I used for recovery is AA, Al-Anon, ACA, for those of you that don't know what ACA, that's Adult Children of Alcoholics. Um, and I've also done therapy most of my life. I've done therapy. Um, I am a big proponent of therapy. And in the last couple of years uh, during the pandemic, I um, decided to switch from one of the careers that I was doing. Um, I'll get into that in a moment, but I decided to... Um, study for, um, the certification is now called SERPA, Certified Recovery Peer Advocate. And I uh, took the classes and I got certified. And then I went for my second certification, which is a certified addiction recovery coach and, um, or a certified alcohol recovery coach. Uh, I prefer to say addiction because, you know, there's so many different things out there. Um, and, I have to say, I really love the language that we use as recovery coaches. Um, the language, you know, I I, ha I can't I can't fault what AA did for me. Um, it got me sober. It got me. There's no. This bottom line is it got me sober, and um, I went to meetings for years. And I will say this in my journey. I discovered in my second year of sobriety that alcohol was not my problem. I realized that alcohol was my solution. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about alcohol being a solution. Um, alcohol was my main drug of choice. I dabbled in pot, um, not other stuff, because, you know, I had a fear of needles, and that probably saved my life. Um, but uh, I'm mostly alcohol, you know, it was legal. You got a sales receipt when you bought it. And back when I was drinking it, there wasn't the kind of uh, laws that there were today and the kind of like, uh, stigma about, you know, driving while drunk. Um, there wasn't the kind of, uh, cops would just follow you home or let you off and just drive slowly, you know, so not that I never drove drunk. I just never got caught. I never got arrested. I never lost a job. I never got fired. I was not married during that period of time, so I never had relationship problems. No, I did. I just not the kind where, you know, you have a wife and you have kids and all those responsibilities. So I was free to do as I wanted, which just um, prolonged my story. Um, 
But, you know, as I went on in AA and as I learned more things and as I was in therapy for a longer period of time and, um, you know, I'll tell more about my story later, but uh, a lot of it's kind of not that important. It's just that I, I used a lot of techniques and things that I learned. I became a private voice teacher. And um, the method that I used there was that, um, you know, singing is just a physical thing, but really what stops people from really getting where they want was their emotions. And so I delved into that and I studied that and I became a very successful voice teacher um, because I had the physical components down. But what I was really dealing with was the emotional problems and how the emotional problems affected the physical. But I digress. So that was just setting up for me becoming a coach. So during the pandemic, I got my certifications and I was lucky enough to get a job. So I left my career as a teacher um, and added one more thing to my resume of going from being a professional musician and working in theater, then becoming a teacher. And, you know, my story is long. 35 years is a lot of journey. That's all I'll say about that. So um, now I am, uh, after working in a mental health agency, I'm now striking out on my own because I found it to be limiting. I found it to be limiting in the things that I do and I like to do. And so my I talk about, I think I'm going to go with the idea for my podcast of Forward in Recovery. One of my favorite sayings that I learned in program is the rear view mirror is small for a reason. And um, I think uh, that's kind of one of the things that really keeps me going. It's look forward, forward in recovery. Looking back, uh, you know, we also say looking back, but don't stare. You know, when I first came in, those phrases drove me nuts. But, you know, now I, I understand it a little bit. Some of the things, though, bothered me. Um, I, for me, a day count was really important. And I understand that some people don't like day counts today. Um, I have to say, I'm a real big fan. I love what people are doing with this whole Sober Curious movement. I think it's fantastic. I'm a little worried that it doesn't necessarily cover or let people or allow people to delve into some of the emotional things that they need to. And the reason for that is, and that's what I want to talk about today, now that I've given you some of that background stuff, is that, you know, getting back to what I talked about in my second year of sobriety, I discovered that alcohol was a solution, which became a secondary problem. And, and once I had gotten my drinking problem um, under control and, and you know, um, manageable, and I, and I lost my desire to drink around seven months, but, you know, we moved on to other things, cigarettes, caffeine, sugar, and, and, and you know, just transferring that compulsive uh, energy. So like I began to realize that, you know, working in therapy that, you know, that's, I was looking for coping mechanisms and some of those coping mechanisms were just not healthy. Not only were they not healthy, but I wasn't really addressing the real reason what was going on underneath. And so, you know, when I moved on to Al-Anon, I began to deal with relationship problems. Um, they have a phrase when you go to AA and Al-Anon, they call you a double winner. Um, you can decide whether that's a, a loss thing or a win thing. Um, I chose to look at it as a win thing because, you know, AA promised me that they would teach me how to not drink one day at a time. 
Um, but, you know, Al-Anon gave me a more um, emotional look. You know, I used to laugh when I would be in Al-Anon and I'd say, there's a duck in my backyard again and it's quacking. And once again, I'm surprised, you know, because relationships were a huge problem for me. Um, not just romantic relationships, but friend relationships, work relationships, any kind of relationship. Um, I did not growing up grow up know, knowing how to do relationships because, you know, alcohol was my only relationship and drugs. So um, in any case, I came to realize that um, I had chosen alcohol as a coping mechanism and it worked till it didn't work. And uh, so, you know, what I, that's where I guess therapy became really, really important to me. And some of the words that they used in 12-step programs um, did not work for me anymore. And that's where recovery coaching came in, where I loved the words that they used. And when I took the classes, the way they approached it were so fabulous. You know, it's like my teacher would say things like, are you a heart attack? Do you say my name is John and I'm a heart attack? You know, and so like the way we chose to use that word and I'm an alcoholic and and we began to focus in that class on talking about, you know, my name is John and I'm a person who's in recovery. And we began to focus on the recovery part of it. And when I used to speak in the um, in the rehabs, you know, I would talk to them and say, like, stop focusing on I'm a drug addict. So, and I'm in recovery. Focus on the second half of that because that's what we're doing. Get out of the rear view mirror. There's a fabulous film on Netflix right now. It's called Stutz. And Jonah Hill, um, the whole thing is a documentary where Jonah Hill interviews his therapist. And I'm absolutely in love with Phil Stutz. I love his whole technique. But he has this thing where he coins it. It's called the maze. He said people get stuck in the maze. And all they do is sit there and talk about life is not fair and why did this happen to me and stuff happened to me and now I have to fix it, you know. And the bottom line is I have a belief that 99% of all people who choose some, for, some sort of substance abuse and that substance abuse can be anything. It can be food. It can be relationships. It can be shopping. It can be alcohol. It can be drugs. It can be pills. It can be medicine. It can be anything. It's anything that we use to dissociate or to just avoid things that we don't want to feel. And a lot of that is trauma that happened to us when we were little. And let's face it, you know, um, there's no exam or learning class to have children. There's no licensing test you have to pass to become a parent. My parents, and you know, there's a phrase, I learned this thing where they say the parents did the best that they could. And that's kind of a cop out. It really is. You, you have to go back and you have to look and you have to say what happened. And you have to acknowledge what happened. And then you have to find a way in the process of working it out, finding out where things happened to you and where it affected you and where you chose a coping mechanism. And we call this adult child work because those mechanisms don't work for you anymore as an adult. They actually cause harm in your life or they stunt your growth or they hold you back. And so... Um, there's also a phase that comes where, you know, hopefully we can work out 
some kind of let go from your parents, uh, either rebuilding that relationship or not. Um, that's up to the individual person in the work that you do. Um, I will say to people, you know, when you hear that phrase, for example, everything happens for a reason. I don't believe that. I believe that's an individual choice up to the person. It's As a coach um, or a self-empowerment coach, there's no way I'm going to say to a client from Uvalde that there's a reason that your child was killed. It's, it's, there's absolutely, you know, how can you even say that? If a person finds something for themselves that gives them a reason in their grieving, that's their choice. Um, I would never in a session or to a friend or to anybody say, like, everything happens for a reason. If a person says, I don't believe that, that's their choice. So um, in looking in the past, some people will, will find that, like, some things happen and they may come to a decision saying for themselves saying, well, my parents did the best that they did. That's what they did. Um, in my own background, um, I acknowledge what happened to my parents that caused them to not have the capabilities to be there as parents for me. That's a separate thing. It doesn't take away from the abuse that I suffered as a child or that any of the others in my family suffered as a child, and we all did. And we all went out with that baggage, that, that bowling ball around our neck. And every time I'm working with a client, I hear, well, you know, my parents did that to me, so, so why do I have to fix this shit? And that's what Phil Stutz calls the maze. And it's like, well, it's, it's my life now. I'm an adult. And when we're hearing those voices, that's our ghost parents. You know, we were a little kid then, but we're not now. A little kid then couldn't do anything. And, I, you know, I, I do have to put a, 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 a little um, a line on this that says, basically, you know, it's like not everybody grew up in an abused family. Not everything is trauma. Um, that's what we work at when we're doing coaching sessions. But I believe strongly that when you're working with a substance abuse disorder, that sometimes you need to go back in time to find out why. Because, um, there's a great Uberman Labs, um, uh, podcast where he breaks down scientifically exactly what happens when you drink alcohol and that it's a poison to your body and, and what the body does to get rid of it because it recognizes it's a poison. And, you know, he just, he's just doing it scientifically. There's no moral judgment to it, no attachment to it whatsoever. It's just this anatomy and the science. And we know that there's genetic components, multiple genetic components that if a person has certain genes, basically, the alcohol, one ounce of alcohol will not break down properly in that person. And that ounce of alcohol will break down into another kind of alcohol that hits the brain in a certain way that sets up the brain saying, I want another ounce of alcohol. I want more. 
And so the body craving that, the person takes another drink and it sets up the cycle. In 12-step programs, they will say things like, it's not the caboose that kills you. So we don't take the first drink. So that's well and good. You know, if I have an addiction, uh, um, not an addiction, I'm sorry, if, if I have an um, allergy to strawberries and I know that if I eat a strawberry and I break out knives, then I don't eat the strawberry. All well and good. But why is it that some people who know that if they drink, they can't stop? And it's like, well, I need to not drink. Yet, they will continue to drink. Their journey becomes about finding a way to learn to drink, finding a way to control the drink. Their loved ones come to Al-Anon, and they're all about learning some way that they can help their loved ones drink responsibly when they first come. They don't realize that program is for them, not the drinkers. And so, you know, a lot of people's time and energy get consumed and wrapped around this bottle, trying to control themselves. Well, that's not physical. That's mental. So we know back in 1930s, Dr. Silkworth had this idea that it was an allergy. It was an allergy of the body. They just didn't have DNA at that time to like get into the genetics and all that kind of stuff. But he was onto something. And he couldn't even write his name in the first forward of the big book because he would have been like ridiculed by doctors at the time. He would have been totally laughed out of his industry. And so now we know so much more about it, but there's still that component about why do we still go for it? And, you know, I have my theories about the connection between alcohol, which has, you know, it's made of carbohydrates, which is a form of sugar, and the carbs get turned into sugar. And what, where, what at the meetings, what do you see? Lots of cookies, candy. Um, and we, we move to caffeine and candy or cookies. And um, there's a connection there, you know. And so this whole wrap of physical versus mental, my feeling is, that it's wrapped into this thing of coping mechanisms. We're looking to find some kind of coping mechanism. So while I'm all for this dry January, now I'm seeing the ads for dry February, and it's like, how do you cut through that noise? How do you cut through that noise? Um, I have uh, friends um, and a lot of people that I know that are, you know, they did the sober curious thing, and they're now sober they're not drinking three and a half years, one of my friends that I know, and I just think that's the most awesome thing. Because at the very bottom of it, they're not putting that poison into their body. You know, and you can see if you see people who've been drinking for 20, 30 years, you take a look at their skin. You take a look at their body condition. You know, it's the body takes a toll from working that poison out of you. So this person that I'm talking about, they talk all the time about in their three and a half years, they don't, they don't wake up hangover. They, they go work out. Like their whole life has changed. They have so much more time on their hand. And they also talk about the social things that they do. They're not sitting at home knitting because they don't drink. Um, I, another thing that I'll mention, it's very interesting that it's probably one of the only drugs that we get so much pressure if we decide not to do. What is that about? I can remember in college, if we were sitting around in a group and they were passing the pipe 
and we'd be smoking the pipe. If you said no thanks, nobody argued with you. Nobody said, are you sure? What's the matter? What's wrong with you? Everybody was like, yeah, no problem. More for me. No, nobody had a problem with it. But if you went out somewhere, unless you were with like really close friends that, you know, that knew you and didn't give you grief, Oh, my God, so many things that you would hear. It's like, what? You're not drinking? What's up with you? Are you an alcoholic? What's the matter with you? And there's, there's social cues for that kind of thing. People do not want someone not along for the ride. Did you ever notice that when you're out with a group of people and they get a couple of drinks into them, not a lot, just one or two, all of a sudden everybody's talking louder. If you go out with them and you're not drinking and you're hanging out with them, you will notice everybody gets louder. Ever take the train into the city, and there's a group of people, and they're pre-gaming? Oh, Lord. Oh, my God. They get so freaking loud, and they're like, it's like, guys, we can hear you, and we're like on the other side of the car, and everybody is just looking at each other, and these people have no clue. They have already reached that point where they are not aware their brains have been affected, and they're, and they're not even drunk. They've just had a couple of whatever it is that they're drinking in their cans in their bags, you know. So that alcohol has an immediate effect. And there are many, many different types of drinkers. Um, it's, just, it's just how we react to it. So that mental component, I think, is really, really important to deal with. And that's where, you know, I step in as a recovery coach. And the truth of the matter is, it's really a threefold problem. It's mental, physical, it's also emotional. So if we don't deal with all three aspects, we're going to, it's like a stool with two legs. Some, something's going to fall apart somewhere. And um, that's why I say back at the beginning when I said I'm all for dry January, dry February, and people stop drinking, if they haven't reached a point where it's become problematic, um, yay, that's great. I'm all for it. If you notice that you've had blackouts, brownouts, periods of time where people are telling you about things that happened and you kind of quasi-remember it, but you really don't, or you're keeping secrets about your drinking, or anything like that that's like not the norm, you know, and um, I don't have to tell you, you know, you know. And, uh, and you're just not talking to it about anybody. You just kind of blow it off. Oh, well, the other problem is, is also that, besides the point, that alcohol is just one of the many problems that's going on out there. Um, you know, besides drugs and pills and cocaine and, you know, fentanyl is just huge. I mean, it's even disturbed our whole marijuana situation. And we have a whole other situation, which I'll talk about in future podcasts. It's like, you know, the confusion between is marijuana a drug or is it a medicine? You know, um, we have so much to contend with. Um, what I love about recovery coaching is language that we use is harm reduction, harm reduction. But what I'm about is, you know, helping with the social constructs. You know, if I, if I stop drinking, what do I, how do, what do I tell my friends? You know, what do I, how do I deal with it socially, blah, 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 blah. In my life, if I have, um, you know, certain things to deal with and I, and I don't know how to approach them, that's where I can assist you. That's where I can walk with you through those situations. Um, my board that I have the power of words, um, 
how we use our language to empower ourselves. So I'm going to wrap it up for today. Please follow my Instagram. It's John P. Farrell underscore recovery coach. Uh, my email is jpfarrellcarc at gmail.com if you have any questions. And you can reach me at 516-893-1722. You can text or call. If you'd like, I have an offering of a 20-minute free phone call conversation. So please hit me up um, if you have any questions, if you want to talk about stuff and see if maybe the match is right for us to work together and um, go out and have fun. Don't drink and drive. Use a designated driver when you're out and I will talk to you all soon. Take good care.